0: So much to be grateful to God for. and It's been great to be involved in community church from its earliest days. So um, I'm particularly continuing the series we've just begun uh, called Kingdom DNA. Now DNA, our DNA, shapes so much of our lives. It's that kind of inner code that really shapes so much of our living, our health, our habits, our ways of life. And there's a kind of kingdom DNA. What is it to experience the The DNA of Jesus as king and his kingdom in our lives, in our church. How visible can that be and what would it look like? So that's what the series is about. And you've particularly given me the subject of authority and freedom. How can we experience kingdom DNA in what does spiritual authority look like? What does real spiritual freedom look like? So that's what we're going to cover today. We're going to read from Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, and hopefully it will come up on our screen and reading from verse um, 21. So notice how often the word authority will appear in this passage. And just as we read it, just to see that the kind of authority we're talking about. You see that in Jesus' day, there have been lots of prophecies about... The Messiah was going to come. He was going to be the king, as it were. He was going to liberate God's people. But the expectation was that this was going to be some kind of military conquest of the Romans and all the slavery they were under and uh, that kind of power of military power and might. Well, in fact, Jesus did come, and he did come with a power and authority, but it was a different kind of authority and power, and that's what we're going to understand today. It was a power that brings forgiveness and, for- and a sense of freedom and what that looks like. So here Jesus introduces that kind of authority. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said, sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently. and He came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching? And with authority, he even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her and took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at that door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning... While it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Father, we pray now that you will help us by your spirit. To understand something more about that kingdom DNA, that kingdom authority, that spiritual authority, that kingdom freedom, that inner freedom, as we unfold these scriptures together. For every one of us, Lord, may not just be informative, not just challenging, Lord, but may it change us. It may be something that in our inner being we sense that inner code, that DNA being shaped by your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right, so hold on to your chairs, because this is quite a a whole range we're going to touch on. Authority and freedom. What does that mean? Kingdom authority, kingdom freedom. So when we speak of DNA, as you say, we're talking about that kind of inner code that shapes our lives. And for Jesus, there is a, a kingdom DNA, whereby the kingdom of God shapes our lives. Whatever we do, the way we think, the way we spend our money, the way we use our time, the relationships we have, our, our our hobbies, our interests, everything. What it means for Jesus to be Lord of our life, his rule, his reign. And how do we see that authority that shapes that? So we really sense when we hear Jesus teaching, there's a kind of spiritual authority that inspires us to obey. We read God's word, it shapes our lives. So what happens here is Jesus goes into the synagogue, as his common practice was, and he takes the scroll of the day and he reads that scroll and he begins to teach for it, which was a normal practice every day, every Sabbath in the synagogue. But When Jesus spoke, there was something different and the people were amazed. I mean, he's reading from the same scroll as the scribes and Pharisees was, but when he spoke, there was an authority, they said. Not like the same as the teachers of the law, the scribes and the Pharisees. Now when we think of authority in our secular society today, authority is often marked in different ways. Sometimes authority is marked by titles, roles you have. It says on the door headmaster you may have never met him but when you knock on that door and you've been sent to him you're quaking in your boots not because he's the headmaster that's a title sometimes we do it through uniforms you know you see a policeman and it, it, it is you, you've never met him before but his his, his his uniform speaks of authority as it were and there's lots of ways in which authority tends to be representative as it were now here's jesus Jesus, he goes into the synagogue and there are plenty of people with authority. They've got titles. They're, they're not just priests. Some of them were chief priests. Some of them were synagogue rulers, as it were, and they were Pharisees and scribes. They had all the role of authority and they certainly had the uniform. They'd wear these long garbs, as it were, and they'd be in the marketplace floating around there as the kind of people of authority. And yet, when Jesus, he had none of that. No special robe, no special title. And yet, just when he spoke, there was authority. What kind of authority is it? It's what we call a spiritual authority. It's not because you're going to force people to do it. If you don't do it, you get shot outside. Or it's not people kind of press. It's it's something that's spiritual. That when you speak, there's something inside that gets stirred. You're inspired, and that authority should shape our lives. It's not somehow that when you read the Bible, it's God's word, and you read it as a set of rules and regulations, and you're quaking your boots because you better be. No, no, no. The word of God and inspire us. So as we read it, there's a, an authority that's in God's Word. We often speak of what we call the authenticity and the authority of Scripture. The Bible is the base authority for all life and practice. It should shape our lives, not just our church life, not just a set of doctrines. It, it shapes our lives. Why? Because it has an authority, a divine authority. It's inspired by God. Every, it's breathed by God, as it were, and it carries an authority. So when you read it, so I have found, in fact, over these last few months, you know, I've found increasingly, even in a secular world, meeting people who know nothing about the Bible, nothing about God. So the other day, my neighbor said to me, um, uh, she was passing, we just, we just met in the street near, near our home, and she said, oh, she said, uh, Rob, she says, um, you go to church, don't you? I said, I do sometimes, yeah. I said, and uh, she says, you know, uh, uh, I was brought up a Catholic, she said. Uh, she's from Poland, and all my life I've been a Catholic. I've gone to church every week, as she said, but about a year ago I stopped going because it just seems so, so many rules and regulations, so much religion. She said, well, tell me a bit about your church. In fact, she asked me on a weekend, and uh, I said to her, so I told her a bit about Woody's, and that Sunday I was speaking at Woody's, so I said, you can come with me. She came on the Sunday evening, and God really touched her so much so that she's really interested. She said, oh, I'd like to know more. She said, I, I've never understood the Bible. I said, well, would you like to explore more about the Bible? She said, I wouldn't know where to begin. I said, well, I'll help you to begin. She said, well, what, what do you know? I said, well, in the Bible, there are four biographies of Jesus. So what we're talking about is that that kingdom DNA, it's about Jesus, his understanding who he is, his teaching, his way of life, his, the things he did. And so I said, um, they're, they're just short biographies. You know, get these political biographies, great tomes you know of some prime minister or whatever it may be and but jesus it's just like that you could read it in an hour or two and there's four of them and and, and so i said why don't you just take one of those she said well I, I have got a bible she said but um i'll see if i can find it i said well just read the first three chapters of john's gospel now every month this year i have done this with somebody who i've just met and it's been wonderful. See folks just just that person, any one of us, not through preaching, it's just one to one. So this is my neighbour now. And he's my neighbour, but actually I did it on and I often do it on a video WhatsApp because it's much more flexible, you know, just do it change of time. And and so here I am, my first video WhatsApp with her, and she's just read the first three chapters of John's gospel and she's WhatsApp me some questions he had. And again, it's so interesting some of the questions there in John one where it says halfway through. To as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the power to become children of God, born of God. Oh, she said, what what does all that mean? She said, "Uh, you know, what does it mean to believe? She said, I thought I always was a believer because I I, I went to the Catholic Church. Yeah, I said, but look what it says. It says, to as many as received him, to those who believed in his name. Believing is not just some external acknowledgement of some fact outside. You know, I believe the number one bus is going to come up Falcondale Road any minute now, Uh, but you may not be getting on it, but you believe it. It's just a fact, you know but it's about receiving to believe is to receive. So it's about receiving Jesus into our life. She said, well, how do you do that? She said, and so we're on to a next step or a next step. And, and, and we got right away through John. She had so many questions, great questions from John's gospel. And, and, and some weeks we missed a week, but it took us maybe about, I can't remember now, maybe about five weeks to be able to get through it. And, um, she just moved house and, um, before she moved, we just finished John's Gospel. And in the last chapter of John's Gospel, in John chapter 20, it says this. It's like the author of a book, you know, often writes on the back cover a little paragraph to say why he's written the book. He went to the Antarctic and saw penguins, so he's writing all about penguins. But John writes, he says this, what's just happened is Thomas... We often call doubting Thomas, the other disciples have seen Jesus risen from the dead, and they've told Thomas, Thomas says, No, I'm once bitten twice shy, I'm not going to believe that all stuff again, he says. He says, Unless I could put my finger in the nail print in his hands and actually touch him and see him, I'll never believe. A few days later Jesus appears to them, and Thomas is there. He never puts his finger in Jesus' hand, he just falls down and says, Oh, my Lord and oh my God. He believes then Jesus says the amazing words. This is John chapter 20. Thomas, you have believed because you've seen. But blessed are those future generations who will never have a chance of seeing me or touching me. Well, how are they going to believe? So John says, you know, there are many other miraculous things that Jesus did that are not recorded in this book I'm writing. But I have recorded sufficient here for anyone in all future generations who won't necessarily see or touch me but to believe that I am the son of God and that by believing they'll have life in my name in his name so I said to uh, my neighbor I'll call her um, I better give her an uh, Annie I'll call her Annie I said Annie I said uh, uh, we've been going through now these weeks John's Gospel. I said, help you to understand who Jesus is. He said, Rob, you can't imagine, she said. I had such a kind of mystical view of Jesus from, you know, my Catholic days with a halo and just with a white robes. That kind of almost." I said, but I've come to understand the significance of who he really is. I said, but it goes on to say, Annie, that we not only can come through reading this book to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but to find life in his name. Is that something you would want? She said, well, I, I, I've always thought I, I, I was a, a kind of church going to believe, but I, I've realized there's something missing, so yes, I would. And I'd already given her a why Jesus. We went through that why Jesus, just that simple A, B, C of becoming a Christian, you know. A, to admit your need, just saying sorry. to God. Don't keep excusing yourself, just say sorry. B, B is to believe that Jesus, Son of God, loved you and gave himself for you, and C, to commit your life to him. He said, but how do you do that? I said, well, most folk do that, maybe simply, and just pray in those three simple steps. But I, well, I wouldn't know how to pray. I'm only used to prayers for the priest saying prayers. I said, well, would you like me to help? And, you know, this is my neighbor next door, just before she moved, or last, last week it was, before last, rather. We prayed together, and she committed her life to you. She- but one of the amazing things is the way that Scripture, I've had many a conversation with over the years, there's something of an authority in Scripture. When you unfold it together, you know, just this past week, I've just done that with my younger brother. I've known all my life with my younger brother. we had so many. But we've just been through John's Gospel together. My younger, younger brother had given him a Bible. I thought he'd go wild getting given a Bible because he hadn't been to church for years. But anyway, he seemed grateful for it. and He started reading. We didn't know where to start from. So I said, well, I'll help you. And I did the same. I said, well, let's just go through one. And just this last week, he's just become a Christian, which is wonderful. And for all those years, you know. But it's... The power and the authority of the word of God. When we read it, we're not just reading like any other book. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It cuts right down through your DNA, as it were. There's lots of things about authority and freedom. important, Even, even in church life, uh, how does authority work in church life? Is it just about ecclesiastical order? You have an archbishop, or you have a pope, and then you have a, a bishop, and then you have a priest, and you know, there's a kind of ecclesiastical order, and authority lies in the ecclesiastic order, like a headmaster or something, or, or, or is it in a set of regulations or rules that you have? No, no. Again, the Word of God is a base of authority for all life and practice for us, and God entrusts us with leaders. Their main thing is to be able to rightly handle the Word of God. Their authority doesn't lie in their position, but in their ability to take Scripture and unfold it together. So I'm not saying, you do this because I'm telling you. It's you do this because God's Word is telling you. That's why it's important even now as we share. It's not because Rob said it. It's because the Word of God says it. Now, how do we exercise that in just a very practical way in, in church leadership? And, and for me, particularly, I've been involved in the planting of woodies, and um, this year we just celebrated 53 years in, in ministry here in the city, and it's been a wonderful experience of seeing God at work in so many lives and so many churches. But for me, often folks say to me, Rob, how do you exercise authority? For me, it is minimum control and maximum accountability. Minimum control. So if if I were to just give a little task to somebody, uh, say, right, I got these eight Hong Kongers. They need to be on an airplane from Heathrow at 10 o'clock tonight. And I need someone to be able to get them there. And so I say, yeah, I, I'll do that. You sure? Yep. Now, maximum accountability is I want you to deliver. So how do you exercise that? You share vision. You share values. You share goals. When it then comes to exercise, they say to me, Rob, well, eight people. I could get two cars and two drivers. Yeah, you could do that. I could hire a minibus for eight. And, you know, I said, yep. What, what do I do, Rob? No, 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 wait. I'm leaving that with you. I want you to have freedom to exercise your gift skills. But, but do we have two stops for a drink? and a No, I leave that with you. Minimum control, but maximum accountability. That's why for us, coming up as we share that vision evening, that vision evening is where we share what's the vision, what's the values, what's the goals. We're not wanting to control people's lives. Spiritual authority is something we need to guard carefully because often religious authority has been used and misused, sadly, in our world, in our society. But I must hasten on because it's not only just Jesus and the authority he brought with his teaching, it's not just the Word of God, but Jesus' authority was also expressed in the demonstration of his power. So here in this passage, it's amazing. First of all, we see that amazing deliverance where, in fact, here he's in a synagogue, he's been unfolding the scriptures and they're all amazed at the authority of his teaching. But the next thing, he turns to a a man who's obviously disturbed, possessed with a demon, uh, and he's crying out and shouting out, as it were. And Jesus, with authority, says to him, be quiet. Come out of him. And the man begins to violently shake and shriek and then suddenly, like as if something's left him. And they're amazed. Because with authority, he even gives orders to the evil spirits and they obey. Now that's spiritual authority. And The next minute he's visiting Simon's home and Simon's mother-in-law is unwell with a fever. He takes her hand, lifts her up, and the fever just leaves him. Before long, by, midnight, by evening... All the town is at the door. Banging on the door. With their sick. And people that are possessed with demons. And he heals many of them. And delivers them as it were. Here Jesus is demonstrating that authority. Now Particularly in this realm of the supernatural, whether in healing or deliverance, we live in a Western world, a cerebral world, which is much more about rational reduction, you know, where we explain away anything that might be seen as supernatural, has got natural explanations to it. and you know, we kind of live in a world where there's that threshold of expectation. But we live in a world where there is a spiritual battle going on constantly around us, whether we're aware of it or not. So often in our society today, here in Bristol, in our Western world, we're not aware often of that spiritual realm, that battle that's going on. I mean, just this last week... Uh, someone came to see me, and uh, a senior professional person with a really significant job. In fact, about to make a decision this week. In fact, tomorrow, or something, On you know, a, a relatively small project, but it's a multi-million pound project. And, and he's really nervous and, um, and struggling, etc. And uh, he, he said, Rob, I, I, I really struggle, he says, these days. He almost seemed on the edge of a nervous breakdown. He said, Just, uh, I've looked after huge projects, he says. No, he's not a Christian. But his brother had asked if I'd see him. And he came to see me and he said... Uh, I want to see you because of this, he said. Something happened two years ago, he said. I, I was visiting Glastonbury. It wasn't a festival, he said, just the town. And it was advertised on one of the front fronts a, a fortune-telling place. And you could go in and they'd get cards out and they'd tell you fortune. And I thought, oh, I could do with a bit of that because I've got a bit of decisions to make in life. I went in, he said, and as I began to use these cards, I felt a cloud coming over me. I felt something uneasy inside of me, almost as if something entered me, he said, and... And he said, I, I, I know what it was. He's not a Christian. I no idea. He said, but I just knew. And these last two years, whenever it comes to decision making, it's like there's another voice inside of me. He said, I feel so stressed and so strained. And I remember saying to him, uh, we'll call him Barney for the moment. But uh, Barney, I said, you know, there's a whole world of light and darkness around us. There's a battle going on constantly of good and evil. We may just read our headline newspaper, you know, three people cruelly murdered, and we think, oh, God, humanity. What a no, There's a battle going on of good and evil in our world that's shaping our world, affecting our lives. And sometimes what happens, that's going on all of us around the world around us, that light, but sometimes we open a door and allow some of those powers inside and suddenly begin to find that now our attitudes, our behavior is being shaped in a way that, was that me that said that or did that? Almost like a voice speaking within us. And before long, it shapes our behavior. That's why that inner DNA, what does it mean to experience a kingdom DNA that has authority over all other powers? I explained to this to Barney, I talked at some length to him, and then explained to him what it meant to become a Christian and the way that we can experience God's power within. He asked if I'd pray for him, and I prayed over him. And as I prayed over him, I felt God, in fact, brought a real breakthrough. But it was just the first step. In fact, this weekend, I'm due to be with him again. But uh, uh, there's a power of good and evil. I mean, in our world, as I say, places where I felt it much more evident in awareness. I would go to Africa every year. In Africa, the threshold of awareness of the supernatural is much, much higher. There's a whole realm, a spiritual realm. There's witch doctors and spirit, everything. All life is shaped by it. I used to go to an Easter camp. I'd arrive usually uh, on the Thursday, ready for the Friday. I arrived at this first of the camps, and always there were lots of people for prayer. One of the first people for prayer was actually somebody for, uh, I say for healing. It was some, a couple, a lovely couple, who for years and years have longed to have a child. In Africa, it's a big thing, not having children. And they're under great pressure from their village family. In fact, After this Easter camp, when they went back, they were in a pressure to engage the witch doctor to do these rituals over them. They'd resisted for many years, but they felt so weak and so vulnerable. And they came for prayer. And I remember just uh, one or two of the other African leaders and um, just in front there was a kind of circle of of basket chairs type thing. And and this lady was here and telling a story. And we prayed. And as I reached out and just prayed, as I prayed over her, she rested into that um, basket chair behind, and as she rested, she almost felt as if something had happened inside of her. Now, one of the challenges about prayer around pregnancy, and we have seen—we've seen in this church, in fact, we've got one or two folk here today who could tell you some miraculous stories, miraculous stories, of what seemed impossible, uh, you know, of where God has brought about. But one of the things about pregnancy, of course, you can't see the immediate effect. You know, if somebody's got a broken arm or can't walk and they got two crutches, you pray and they throw the crutches away. And but with pregnancy, you know. A year later I came to the same camp. I can still remember coming down the road to the camp. At the gate of the camp was this woman carrying a baby. They called the baby Campbell. In their village when she went back and she persuaded her family that something had happened inside of her that she felt she would be able to come pregnant. They rang a bell when anything supernatural happened in the village. She said we've called our child Campbell. Because Campbell, as we would use you know, Campbell, because that's where it happened. And sure enough, there was something wonderful. And in that, even that week, we had some amazing experience, not just of healing, but of also deliverance. Like a one year man who was so, his whole manner of he was shrieking and shouting and so out of control. And his parents so desperate to see something from him. He'd often almost lost his life from dangerous situation. They said, it's like it almost all the time, but sometimes it triggers. And sure enough, even as they brought him, it triggered. He was screaming and shrieking. You know, as we prayed over him, you know, I'd say you know you pray over some. The shrieking didn't stop; the shrieking got worse. It really—I mean, it was like Bedlam. And then, suddenly, as we prayed for that deliverance, shaking all over, he was prostrate on the ground. Suddenly, something left him. And there was a kind of peace. Today, he's involved in one of the leadership, one of the local churches there, and and those ways in which, over the years, one has seen God. Demonstrate that spiritual authority in healing, in deliverance. You see, for Jesus, one of the keys to it was what follows on. I mean, all evening, you imagine all the village had come, so by the time he'd finished healing one and delivering another, it must be midnight, and and yet he's up early the next morning. It's still dark in the Middle East, and he gets up early, and he says, and he finds a a lonely place, a place alone to pray. And as he prays, there's a sense in which we need to understand that prayer is the engine room for that power of God, behind every demonstration of God's power. See, you may just read the story of Jesus performing a miracle, but whenever he did it, something happened. Inside. We, particularly the story of the woman with the issue of blood, where over all those years she'd had that bleeding, and then Jesus didn't even wrote, it wasn't something she, he reached out to touch, but she just wanted to touch the edge of his garment. She comes behind him, and he doesn't even see it happening. And, and yet she touches his garment. There's hundreds of people all pressing in, elbows and knees everywhere, pressing in, and Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? You think, well, they all touch you. It. No, 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 no. That, faith of, that touch of faith. Jesus said, I know that power has gone out from me. Wow. Every time that miraculous demonstration, there's something that's that's going out, that's delivering that power of God, there's that spiritual authority. Where is that sustained? Where is that generated? It's in that place of prayer. But Jesus, constantly, he would withdraw to pray. And then that demonstration of his power. So for us today, kingdom DNA, what would it mean for that DNA to shape our lives? Our daily living, Our church life. What is it to so understand the authority of Jesus that when we when we hear his teaching, it's not just like, oh, that's interesting, but something stirred inside of us. There's a there's an inspiration that we just got to obey it. And that obedience is not just duty, it's not obligation, like a headmaster said, Go and do that, write ten lines otherwise. No, no, no. When he speaks, there's an authority that draws an obedience which you long to do, you feel inspired to do it, you feel released by it, there's a freedom. That's why it comes not on our duty, but our devotion. Jesus is always calling up. out, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? It's out of that devotion to him that we experience an inner stirring. When we read God's word, even this week when you we read the Bible, it's not just reading another book. There's an authority in God's word that comes alive to us and that brings with it a Freedom an inner DNA that shapes our lives. And God wants to give to us that spiritual authority. So for us, when we share our faith, when you speak to your neighbor like I would have, or to my younger brother, it's not me. Jesus gives our authority to speak his word that brings repentance and forgiveness, that brings healing and deliverance. But also, God stirs us to pray. Prayer is the key to that. Ultimately, that authority, that release of God's power for that inner experience of God's presence in our life. This year, we felt that prophetic word, pursuing his presence. What is it to cultivate the presence of God? Draw near to him. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I want to pray that here this morning. So let's stand again. I'm going to pray for us today. I want to pray now. I want to pray. With a spiritual authority. So it's not just me giving a closing prayer. I want to sense, even now as I pray, there is an authority. And in fact, Jesus gave authority. We can actually impart that authority, but only to the extent that we're open to it. So just be ready to receive. If you want, just cup your hands, if it were, as if you're receiving from God. Because in the end of the day, it's not a duty or obligation, but willingness. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus full of grace and truth. When he spoke, there was a spiritual authority that even the stranger could recognize. There's something different. Lord, speak into our lives today. Even now, Lord. Lord, this message today, I don't want it to be my words, but your word, Lord. Into our lives. Where there's a willing response. Come, Lord, by your spirit. We want you to be Lord of our lives. Your authority to rule, your reign, To shape, even this week, the decisions we make, Lord. The relationships we have. Our habits. Our way of life. Come, Lord. May we demonstrate that kingdom DNA. Help us this week to find a fresh appetite for your word, Lord. To sense that authority of scripture. Help us to experience, Lord, that demonstration of your power. Bringing healing and wholeness and deliverance. And Lord, teach us to pray, to pray with a kingdom DNA in Jesus' lovely and precious name. Amen. Amen.